Speaker Gingrich, thank you for joining me for Across the States, the premier state policy podcast brought to you by the American Legislative Exchange Council. I also want to make our listeners aware that this podcast is recorded in partnership with Gingrich 360. You can sign up for their free newsletter and podcast at Gingrich360.com. Mr. Speaker, these are unprecedented times, but the American people and the legislators who represent them are up for the challenge. Our nation has always charted a path forward, one of optimism, solutions, and opportunity. While today is daunting, our future is bright. And while we are mindful that we are just halfway through the 15-day period of isolation to stop the spread, we believe that preparations need to be made for a clarion call to get Americans back to work and so that the economy can start its rebound. Newt, five years ago, you wrote an incredible book called Breakout. With technology and breakout thinking, you highlighted a new way for innovation of government and for society. Given all your thinking on technology in the future, how can we leverage technology and government and daily life to meet our current challenges? Well, first of all, Lisa, I'm, I'm delighted to have a chance to do anything with Alec because I've worked with Alec almost since its beginning. And I think Alec plays a huge role in trying to develop conservative solutions around the country. So I'm thrilled and I'm thrilled with the leadership you provided at us. So this is a great opportunity for me. Let me just go through a series of things that people ought to have as a checklist. The first is to watch every regulation that gets waived in the crisis and try to figure out why would we reinstate it after the crisis is over. Uh, there are some very practical things. The, uh, it's turning out, for example, that there may be a number of therapies that are approved for humans, but have never been approved for this virus because it didn't exist. Uh, and that if they're used off-label, they may actually cure people. So we ought to be putting a lot of pressure on to make sure that the Food and Drug Administration doesn't cut off that kind of experimentation. And frankly, as rapidly as, and this is something Alec may want to pick up on institutionally, but as rapidly as we find breakthroughs, we need to disseminate them so that everybody knows about them, because there's no reason to believe that a doctor in Louisiana will automatically know about a successful experiment in Chicago, for example. Second, I think it's helpful for every legislator to set up uh, either a website or, uh, or an 800 number where people can call when there are problems. So I have a good friend, for example, in New Orleans who's been keeping me briefed on the shortage of tests, both at Turo Hospital and the fact, I just got a note a while ago that they've closed the drive-through testing because they have no test at the drive-through testing. So, and, and I frankly report these to the White House as sort of a ground truth. And I think legislators can take on that role. Third, we need to really think through how we maximize the safety of senior citizens. Part of that is working with the home health organizations because all of the testing ought to be done by home health nurses who are professionals who are used to doing this. No senior should go to a hospital or a doctor's office to get a test because that's exposing them to diseases. They may actually be worse off when they visit the, the they may contract things that are worse than whatever they had when they walked in. So to the degree every state could set up an ability for home health to do that kind of testing. We should also work with every major delivery system, the grocery stores, uh, Peapod, Amazon, Walmart, uh, so that both prescription drugs and groceries can be delivered to seniors to minimize their need. You don't want a senior standing in line 
at, I would say, in my case, at the, the giant food in McLean, having them go out in order to get their groceries may be the highest risk thing they do all week. So in a way, we, we want to consciously think about how we maximize opportunity for seniors to be able to function. Also, we need a training programs uh, which have to be online and they have to be done so that you can reach lots of people. But today, the president has made it possible, a very important breakthrough, that uh, Medicare recipients can use telemedicine. So you don't have to go to your doctor's office. In addition, Medicare has now put the health record of every senior citizen online. So you can actually access your own health record. However, I would guess that for most of your legislators, they have a huge percent of their seniors who don't know either of those things and who, even if they did know them, wouldn't know how to do it. So having your state legislator uh, put together, whether by telephone or by Skype or whatever, an ability for people to learn, these are tools you now have so you don't have to go out, so you can be safe from the virus. Uh, and in the long run, these are going to be permanent tools. And it's particularly useful for rural America. If you can use telemedicine instead of driving 35 miles, uh, you really have a lot of quality of life savings and a lot of health savings. Now, you raise a really important point, which I actually was writing on earlier today. Even in New York State, which has about half of all the infections in the United States, there are a number of smaller counties where the total number of infections are one or two. Uh, there, are, there are 11 states that have 100 or fewer people who are infected. There is a, an article, which I'll send you that Alec can share uh, with his membership, about Sweden, which has adopted a totally different model and has fewer people infected per thousand than either Norway or Denmark. But it's, it's adopted a very focused kind of model. People still go to grocery stores. They still go to restaurants. Uh, but if you're a senior citizen, you ought, to, you ought to take care of yourself. If you have any kind of a, of a cold or uh, think you have the flu, stay home. I mean, they've emphasized targeting the people who are likely to be the carriers rather than closing down the whole country. Well, if you look at the United States, which is a huge country, there, as of this morning, there are 11 states that have fewer than 100 people who are infected. I think um, as of this morning, South Dakota had the fewest that had 30. You have to ask yourself the question, why would you close down all of South Dakota over 30 people? And so part of what we have to do is, as we try to meet the president's goal, uh, and I've written on this privately for the White House, you, you don't want to have a fight between public health and the economy. So this whole effort of the news media to create a Dr. Fauci versus President Trump fight is exactly backwards. As you'll remember, we used to have the Center for Health Transformation. And its slogan was, and I wrote a book, whose title was Saving Lives and Saving Money in that order to make the case that health is a uniquely moral function. And you want to make sure you save people's lives. And then when you save people's lives, you want to go ahead and save money. But you never do the reverse. Well, I would say the same thing here. You want to build a proactive health program that, for example, if you know that there are 30 people who have uh, the virus in South Dakota, you can actually identify them, quarantine them, track back to who their contacts are, target testing just their contacts. And, and let me say, I deeply disagree with the idea of waiting for somebody 
to be symptomatic for two reasons. First, in, in the most interesting test I've seen, which is in northern Italy, they tested a little town of 3,300, which actually fits a lot of the places that don't have anybody with a virus. Well, the little town decided that they would test every single person. So they tested 3,300 people. 3% of them, 99, uh, were, were infected. Now, where it gets interesting is half of them didn't know they were infected. They had no symptoms at all, which says to me, if I wait for you to show a symptom, I may be missing the person who's carrying the virus. Second, if I wait for you to show a symptom, you may have already had three or four days of having the virus before we get around to you. So you may have been contagious when we didn't know. In fact, I think the person who may have started the Westchester County epidemic was a businessman who had infected 50 people before that they realized that he was that he had the virus. So you want to go in, you take a place like South Dakota. You want to go into South Dakota. You want to test everybody. You want to identify the people that you have to monitor. And you want to be very tough. I mean, those people have to be monitored. Uh, they have to be isolated. They, they're going to spend some time in quarantine. Hopefully, they're not going to have to go to the hospital. Uh, and as we get these new therapies online, fewer and fewer people are going to be hospitalized. I think one of the great fears is that we're not going to be able to find any therapies, and therefore, we're not going to be able to do anything. In fact, I would argue there's an over-focus on vaccines, which may or may not be developed. And if they are developed, if it's at all like flu, you may have to redevelop it annually because oh. flu mutates. Uh, but secondly, if you look at HIV AIDS, which is where Dr. Fauci actually made his career, we've never gotten a vaccine. But we've gotten therapies that are so powerful that they no longer matter. And then people are not running around saying, oh, please give me a vaccine. So it may be that our approach here is to say, the minute we get breakthroughs and therapies, we want every medical doctor in South Dakota to know that, so that if somebody does come down with it, we immediately take care of them. We minimize the risk of their going to the hospital. We minimize the risk of their going into critical uh, intensive care unit. And if you get that right, Maybe you don't totally flatten the, they keep talking about flattening this, this thing, but maybe you don't totally flatten the, the number of people who catch it, but you flatten the effect of them because they're no longer automatically going to go to an IV unit or need a ventilator or what have you. So I would say that the states that are relatively healthy should almost form a relaunch the American Economy Association and should really argue intensely with Washington that there ought to be two set of rules. And candidly, even in New York State, New York City has a huge number of people who are infected. Uh, Westchester County has a huge number of people who are infected. But there are counties in upstate New York that have one or two people that are infected. So they can be treated like South Dakota. And I think we have to have a much more targeted and, and sophisticated way of approaching this than we're currently using. I would also say, Every state now, or almost, I think every state, is engaged in an enormous experiment uh, with distance learning. Uh, that as we close the colleges and we close the, the schools, uh, and I would urge the uh, legislators to look carefully at this whole model because there are a lot of things we may want to actually move online as we train people. For example, we're going to go back to work. Do we need a short course of five or 10 or 15 minutes? on how to go back to work safely. 
I give Daryl Issa credit for this because Daryl had a fire station in his district in which they knew exactly what to do when they were treating somebody who was contagious. But it didn't occur to them that they had to maintain the same discipline at the firehouse. So half of the firemen became infected. And they just, they just didn't, they didn't think about it. Well, if we're going to start getting people to go back to work, we probably have to have some kind of training program, which I would argue should pick up from people like Sebastian Thrun uh, at, at uh, Udacity and should be mostly online, self-taught, but to say to people, here's how you can have a safe restaurant. For example, Debbie and I, along with my, my daughter Jackie, who you know well, were in Korea when this began. In fact, it's sort of ironic. We were there at the very first wave with people at the airport wearing masks. And what we discovered was when you went to a hotel, you were stopped at the door and somebody had a thermometer that was responsive to your skin. And they checked your temperature. And if you had a, if you had a fever, you couldn't get in the hotel. So they were, they were, in a sense, scanning hundreds of thousands of people by thermometer and identifying people who they could say, you know, you need to go get this checked. So if you're going to reopen restaurants, for example, uh, you probably want to take out one-third to one-half of the tables to guarantee social space or what I would call physical distancing. Because I actually don't want you to socially distance. I think with electronics, you don't have to. So I would say, one, you, you want to restructure the restaurant. Two, you want to have a person at the front who checks by thermometer. And by the way, they also check every employee when they come to work that day. Uh-huh. So now become a center of observation where you're not just passive, but you're actively trying to do the right things. You've reopened the restaurant. The economy starts to pick back up. And people know that they have to check themselves. I mean, uh, we actually went out and bought two thermometers uh, because we wrote, we have a his and her thermometer kept carefully apart so there's no confusion. And and I, I, I checked my temperature this morning. She checked hers yesterday. Because sometimes you don't have to wait to see if you have a fever. You just go ahead and you know, stick it under your tongue. I actually want to go and buy one of those skin-based thermometers because I'm, I'm fascinated with the technology. But again, you could imagine a factory uh, and I would argue that all of the great chains, I mean, Walmart, Target, Costco, McDonald's, CVS, Wendy's, all of them ought to be trained into how to both train their own employees and then how to operate safely. And just getting that, them back up and running is a big deal. Then I would argue that you want to take all the large manufacturing sites. And again, in every case, you want to make them a vector for observation and testing, not a vector for disease. And if you did that, you would suddenly have millions of Americans every day being checked to make sure that they didn't have the virus or being told you need to check on this, which takes you back to telemedicine because you want to check on it without having to go to a doctor or what have you. So those are some of the starting points. Uh, I'll stop and let you pick up, but I wanted to give you sort of a flavor. Well, thank you. Those are those are terrific practical steps that legislators can take. I especially like the um, going back and checking on regulations that have been waived. We were on a call yesterday with the American Trucking Association, and they said they're trying to get things waived like weight restrictions at the rest stops so that the truckers can continue to move on. And those kinds of things, ask yourself as a legislator, why do you have these regulations in the first place? 
one of the things that we've uh, kind of coined along with the administration following their lead is that in a situation like this, it should be locally executed while being state managed and federally supported. And that's something that we've taken to heart because Alec for 47 years has been focused on federalism. Are you seeing the kind of local execution and state-based enforcement that you think works for the country? I think there's an effort to reinforce that. I think part of the reason that President Trump picked Vice President Pence was that he had been a governor. He had worked with local public health uh, in dealing with uh, two outbreaks uh, while he was governor. And I think he has a deep, deep passion that uh, localism is what actually is effective and that you have to have leadership at the local level. So in that sense, I think there's a, a serious effort uh, to try to move these things back down to a lower level uh, and to get them away from the Washington bureaucracy. And I think that's a, a big piece of uh, what they're working on. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And you're exactly right. With Governor Pence, uh, Vice President Pence having been governor of Indiana, I thought that that was a brilliant kind of assignment for the president to give Mike Pence. He's been talking about mitigation, testing, and supplies. And you spoke a little bit about mitigation and kind of slowing that curve and then that really strategic approach to identifying and using data to figure out where, like in South Dakota, you could start to reopen the country. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that there are opportunities. I know if I've been talking with uh, Jim Clifton at Gallup, for example, and they have a capacity that's so massive to test people in terms of, of uh, polling uh, that they, they think they can deliver a pretty accurate sense almost daily of uh, what's happening, how do people feel, who's being compliant, et cetera. And I think some kind of matchup where there's a, there's a, it's got to be a feedback loop. When, when, the, when the folks in Washington send signals out, they need to find out whether the signals are being received. And I know that at times there's been a big mismatch between uh, what sounded great in the Rose Garden on national television and then you go out and talk to the local doctor or you talk to, you know, the people who, for example, have a huge crisis in protective outfits for doctors uh, in a real sense of, I mean, uh, the, the, every doctor is risking their life when they start dealing with this kind of a virus. And if they don't have the right protective gear, it, it really makes, first of all, it makes it harder for them to focus on being a doctor because they're just frightened. Uh, and uh, there's some significant challenges like that that I think have to be driven harder than they have been. I also think, though, that there is a virtue in a decentralized way of having all of the legislators in a position to look around and listen to local inventors, local entrepreneurs, local hospitals, and find out who has new, better approaches. In a lot of ways, we're going to win this by bubbling up, not by having just one or two or three big national things, but rather by having lots of ingenious people. I, I was uh, fascinated the other day. I was on Fox and Friends, and they had some young guys who were veterans who had opened up a distillery, and they had decided about a week ago that they could make uh, hand sanitizer because it's the same, literally the same technology. So they've switched off of alcohol uh, into hand sanitizer, and they are part of a wide range of people 
well, I think Budweiser is a huge company, obviously, is doing the same thing. So you are presently going to see a, a flooding of the market for hand sanitizer. Uh, and I think you'll see other kind of things like that. I, I get emails literally every day from smart people around the country who are inventing new and better ways of doing things. And I think that that gives us a real opportunity to have a decisive impact. Yeah, I absolutely love those examples of American ingenuity and innovation coming to the forefront. Uh, we just did an article on that and talking about, you know, the Quest and LabCorp uh, rejigging their, their manufacturing facilities so that they can put out tests a lot quick, more quickly. I love the uh, hand sanitizer example as well. Um, you had Steve Moore and Charles Payne on Newt's World. Uh, your podcast just this week talking about the economic kind of turn and Art Laffer has been talking about liquidity and injecting liquidity back into the market. One of our Texas representatives, Tan Parker, asked on an ALEC call just last week, how can we get lending and liquidity back into the middle markets to ensure that small businesses are protected and can get back into their uh, economic growth? Do you have any ideas on that front? And did you discuss that with Steve and Charles? Yeah, one of my suggestions to Alec is to assemble a group of experts the next couple of days and go through this massive 1,000-page or 1,100-page bill that is going to spend $2 trillion and then go back and look at the two previous bills and see to what extent this is being hit. I mean, they I know from talking to, to Secretary Mnuchin that uh, – they modified the, the second bill to uh, strengthen significantly the impact on small business. And uh, I've been working with Alfredo Ortiz and, and the uh, Job Creators Network on making sure that we're moving in that direction. I get nothing but uh, complaints about the Small Business Administration. And that's an area where I think uh, your local legislators can serve as watchdogs and ombudsmen, helping us find places where things aren't getting done. But I think it would be really helpful to have sort of an ALEC report to its members. You know, here's what you need to know about $2 trillion. Uh, and I think there are significant steps in that $2 trillion towards liquidity for small business and for small and mid-sized banks. Uh, and to the degree that there aren't, uh, we need to know it because there will inevitably be another bill. I mean, we're, we're, think of this as being like World War II. This is a genuine pandemic. This is not just a minor problem. And in responding to the pandemic, we have taken very strong public health steps, which have truly screwed up the economy. Uh, and so now uh, I'm in the middle of, of uh, trying to get people to understand you want to have sound public health and a sound economy simultaneously. It can't be either or. And that you need to think of both of them as kind of like rheostats. It's not an on-off switch. Uh, even in a worse case, on the public health side, you want parts of the economy to work because, for example, you need electricity. Uh, and if you don't have electricity, the whole thing collapses and lots of people die. So even in a worse case, uh, public health has to take into account the economy. At the same time, if you can build a booming economy, you would like not to have people dying in it. So th there's a mutual interest. And I'm hoping that the White House will create a task force on renewing the economy and getting back to growth and prosperity and jobs uh, that will work parallel to the public health task force. Although I do think in the initial couple of weeks, 
you had to give primacy to the public health task force because this was so new, so big, and so shocking uh, that you you had to try to reduce the number of potential deaths, which I actually think they're doing. I mean, I think we are we are not likely to end up as bad off as Italy or as bad as China was, but I think it's going to take a fair amount of effort. And also remembering realistically, we're five and a half times the size of Italy. Uh, so the, the current uh, Italian uh, number of deaths would be about 170,000 Americans. Uh, and we're a long, long way from that. Well, and that's a reminder that it, this is such a personal pandemic and a personal situation for you and Callista being in Italy. I know that you've got to be thinking about that a lot. Um, and I'm also mindful of the fact that you're you're in the middle of a, of a book tour. How are you recommending that people spend their time when they're you know home with their families? Are, are you thinking about coming up with a, a new world book list or some reading recommendations? That's a good idea. You have Debbie's nodding. Yes, we probably will. You know, look, I'll, I'll be first of all, it really helps to have systems like Netflix. Uh, I'm personally addicted to the series on the Vikings. So I've been going through six years of that particular show. We've also been watching some, some movies. Of course, I, I'm a voracious reader anyway, and I'm just finishing up work on a new book that'll come out this summer uh, that really is complicated because uh, we had a terrific understanding of what we were gonna do about three weeks ago, and then the virus just blew everything up, and now we're trying to rewrite it on the run. It's a very interesting experience. I, I would say also, and obviously uh, I'm very very proud of, of uh, Shakedown, our new novel, which is an adventure story about an Iranian-Russian effort to set off a nuclear weapon underwater near Washington and Baltimore and see if they could create a tidal wave. So I'm, I think in terms of if you're looking for something to take your mind off the virus, I think Shakedown is a lot of fun and is a, is a good thing to do. But I would say to most people, one, you've always said, gosh, I've been so busy, I can't get X done. Well, now you can. <laughs> uh, two, with things like Skype and Zoom and GoToMeeting, you know, you can reach out and, and talk with people and get caught up with people. And, and in some ways, you could look back on this years from now as a period where you had much richer human relations and much richer opportunity to talk with each other uh, than you ever thought possible. I would also say that we ought to be thinking a lot about uh, what are we going to be like when we come out of this? Uh, I suspect there'll be a lot more people working from home. Uh, I suspect that, in fact, we may find that rush hour traffic is 20 or 30 percent less than it used to be. Well, thank you, Newt. Those are incredible insights. And I know that our legislators are going to take heart. I've been taking notes the entire time we've been speaking. Um, there's such good practical solutions for us to follow up on, and we will absolutely be doing that. Thank you for taking time to join us on Across the States. It's been a clarion call for legislators across America. Once again, for our listeners, please visit alec.org and gingrich360.com for podcasts, newsletters, and additional resources to help America get back to work. This is Lisa B. Nelson with Across the States.